coming up on this week's episode of Check Your Balances, we talk about positive actions you can take in a negative market, both from an investing and a financial planning perspective. Stick around. That's coming up next. Check Your Balances is a show produced and owned by Craftwork Capital. The views expressed by the hosts and their guests are personal opinions and should not be considered personal financial advice or the opinion of Craftwork Capital. All investments have risk and may lose money. Consult with your financial advisor, tax preparer, or attorney prior to implementing anything discussed. And please do not use this show as the sole basis for financial decisions. Welcome back to another week of Check Your Balances. I am Ross Anderson, joined as always by my friend and co-host, Dan Maseka. Dan, great to see you. Ross, great to see you as well. Welcome back. You took a little road trip uh, last week. I did. I, I was out keeping my ear to the streets in New York, as they say. Uh, sh- shout out to our old friend Bill for that line. But uh, yeah, I had, had a little trip up to New York City, which I had not spent any time in for a very long time. And uh, it was good to get away from it. Yeah, it's funny. I, I also have not been to New York City in forever, uh, despite us living relatively close by. Um, but I, I don't even know what I would do there these days. What, what did you get into on, on your trip up? So I was there with with some family. I was there for a very short period of time. Ended up seeing the modern Museum of Modern Art, which which I thought was pretty cool. And granted, I don't have any real art experience. That's not something that uh, I super get excited about. But that being said, it was great to see them. It's certainly a lively city. It looked like it was alive and well. And there were a bunch of Broadway shows that looked like they would have been fun. There's a Michael Jackson show out right now that my family ended up going to see after uh, I left. But uh, sounded like it was really good. That's awesome. So I, I'm not really an art guy either, but anyone who knows me knows that I'm a little bit obsessive. My wife studied a lot of art history in college, and for our honeymoon, we went to Italy, and we ended up at the Vatican, which is an amazing place to see and clearly very significant from a historical perspective. I know like one piece of art that hangs in the Vatican, and that is the School of Athens. We went. I knew this was the only piece I could recognize. There's a ton of stuff there. I'm just not very culturally up. Were you walking around just looking for it? No. It, oh, I, I'm first of all, I neglected to say that of course Michelangelo's ceiling and the Sistine Chapel is there. I knew that too. We were walking through everywhere basically. It's a big crowd. You're basically funneled through in in one general direction as you make your way around. It is a lot of walking. Somehow we make it all the way to the end of this thing and did not see that painting. My wife chose to wear heels. That was that was her choice. It was uncomfortable for her. But I'm like, we're in Italy at the Vatican, probably for the only time in our life. This is the only thing I know. We are going back and we're going to walk until we find it. And we did. Uh, I don't know that it was worth it for either of us, uh, as amazing as that painting is. But um but you won the moral victory in that case. Yeah, I won the moral victory. All right, fair enough. So let's get into our show today. And let's do it. We're, we're talking, uh, it's Tuesday, April 26th that we're recording this. The market is throwing another temper tantrum at the moment. And we're just talking about some ideas and things that make you feel better. Things that you can do in a down market that feel positive. Looking for other moral victories in a down market. We are looking for other other moral victories. And there's nothing fun about being in a down market, uh, especially if you're if you feel like this has been going on for a while. 
right? The dark tunnel of of stocks that are falling is is not a fun thing. Uh, it feels like we're just kind of waiting for a catalyst that's going to say this is okay, or inflation isn't going to continue to run away, or right? There, there's a lot of things that would feel good that would maybe turn things around, and we're we're here in a very busy earnings week. That being said, we believe that there are some things that investors can consider. We're not going to say do, but investors can consider that might be positive impact things in this type of environment. Yeah. And I think we're going to approach this from two angles. One is from an investing angle and the other from a financial planning angle. From the investing angle, clearly the obvious thing you can do in a down market to feel better about yourself is hit that buy button. Buy something you like and call it buying it on sale. I mean, you say that's obvious, but I don't know that that's obvious to a lot of people, right? I mean, that that is, I think, an instinct that needs to be trained. And I would encourage people, even if it's a very small dollar amount, it can be insignificant to your overall wealth or net worth. If you've got an extra 10 bucks to go buy something, I think that's worth doing on a day that's ugly. And that doesn't mean tomorrow won't be ugly. That doesn't mean that two weeks from now won't be ugly. I just think it is a trained response to go market down, put money in without considering whether you're at the bottom. Because that's where people get caught up as they go, well, is this the end? As a thought experiment, Dan, I would propose to you, if you could go back right now in 2007 and buy stocks, and I give you a binary decision, right? I'm not going to tell you that you have any point in time because obviously you would go pick the bottom. But would you buy stocks in 2007 today retroactively if I could give you that choice? In 2007? Yeah. Right. It, yeah. Right now, in 2022, I say, Dan, you can buy stocks at 2007 prices. Put me in that DeLorean and send me back. Let's go. That is signing up for basically five years of pain. You would actively right now, and I think most of us, I think most of our listeners, if I said, could you go back and buy in 2007 right now, do you think that is a good deal? And you would say, of course, because we've come through an incredible decade of growth since then. And it doesn't matter that what you went through immediately after that buying decision was five years of pain, or really, let's call it two and a half years of pain and two and a half years of recovery, give or take. That would still be a positive decision. So if you're sitting there with some cash today going, I don't know if we're at the bottom yet, I would argue it doesn't matter. That You shouldn't care about that. Now, you probably do, and it's tough to get out of that mindset. I understand that. I understand it's difficult. But long term, that's not going to matter whether you got the timing perfectly right. What's going to matter is if you were behaviorally disciplined in doing what you're supposed to do, in hanging on, in being patient, and continuing to smash the buy button. I've bought about a dozen dips this year so far. And it always shocks me how much it goes down from there. But I do feel good about continuing to to load up on companies that I like or buying into indexes that I truly believe will provide a lot of value over time. And I guess you're right. For some, it might feel like you're catching a falling knife because if you bought any time this year, things are probably worse today than it was the day that you thought things were falling through the bottom. Uh, but it doesn't mean that was a bad action to take. That's exactly right. That doesn't mean it was a mistake. That being said, let's talk about some things that are not investing related. Because I do think that adjacent to the investing, there are some financial planning opportunities. One of these I just did personally, uh, which is I just executed a Roth conversion. 
we've done another episode on Roth conversions on some of the big picture things you should be considering. So when you're considering a Roth conversion, what you're really thinking about is where do I think taxes will be both now and in the future? Where, where are they now versus where I think they'll be in the future? As well as where do I think income will be for me both now and in the future? Now, I'm not going to say this is a lucky thing, but being new business owners, I think my income is down relative to where I hope it will be in the future, right? As we grow our practice uh, and our business, I hope that income will continue to rise for me. So I think this is a relatively lower income year for me probably than what it will be, hopefully five to 10 years in the future. So I've got that on my side. Generally, I think that tax rates will be stable, if not going up a little bit. I don't, I don't have the fear that some people propose, which is that's just again that's that's up for debate. But my view is that they won't go crazy on an average income earner. But the third thing that we really haven't talked about much is what's inside the accounts. If the things that have dropped in value, you can convert shares at now a reduced value from what you paid for them. And then you move all of that future growth into a tax-free bucket. That is an attractive reason to do a Roth conversion. That's part of why I just did it. And I think income's a little bit lower for me than I hope it is in the future. But also that the value of those shares in a pre-tax account, I got to pay the taxes on them and accelerate the taxes on them at today's valuations and then hopefully move all of that future growth into a tax-free bucket. It's basically like getting a discount on your taxes. If you made an IRA contribution last year of $6,000, and that account is now $3,000 today, let's say you bought some some very volatile stuff, which we've seen, and you can pay taxes on that $3,000 now instead of the $6,000 that it would have been last year, and you still expect that stuff to grow, you have just made a really attractive long-term decision. Yeah, so you're really putting the volatility on your side. Uh, Now, you know, we don't know again when when a recovery or or when a, a shoot back up in the market is going to happen. But I think that this is an attractive time to be exploring that. If you were expecting to do a Roth conversion sometime in 2022, I think you're going to get more bang for your buck doing it while stocks are down. And so, generally, if that's your view and that's your situation, talk with your CPA. All of the normal uh, discla- disclaimers there, but. I think that's worth looking at for anybody today as a planning strategy. Similarly, if you are planning for an estate and gifting to family members is a big part of your long-term goal, you have an opportunity to get assets out of your estate at low valuations and let them grow outside of what might be a taxable estate for you in the future. So if you can gift shares to family members at lower dollar amounts today, you are using less of your lifetime gifting exemption by doing so. So if you're thinking ahead and thinking that giving to kids, grandkids, nieces, nephews is a part of your goal, uh, that might be something worth considering. Yeah. And again, on on that, you know, estate planning gets really, really hairy. If you've got really highly appreciated stuff, they're going to get a step up in basis as long as you pass with it, right? So if you die with the asset, your heirs get a step up in basis. So this isn't necessarily saying that you should go gift those highly appreciated shares but if you are doing some ongoing gifting as part of kind of your your day to day or year to year estate strategy, that's a a possible thing to look at. Is that you're going to be able to gift them while the share prices are down a little bit and get again a little bit more cash out relative to uh, the future value of those assets. 
This next one is one I've come across a lot, actually. So if you've been an investor for a long time, and perhaps you got lucky in picking some of these high growth stocks in the past, now you might be sitting with a company that is making up an uncomfortably large percentage of your portfolio. And it just kind of hangs out there because you can't sell or or you don't feel comfortable selling because you just don't want to take that tax hit. So maybe 50% of your portfolio is in a certain company and the rest is diversified more broadly and, and more secure. With prices pulling back, this might be an opportunity to diversify your portfolio further now that prices may have have come down on that position and it's going to be easier to sell things off while it's down. And so it's in essence a way to de-risk and um, you know make sure that your allocation is in line for where you should be today instead of what it defaulted into as a result of growth. Dan, I think that's actually the opposite way people would think about it though. Uh, and I, I, I think you're right, but I believe what most people would do, especially if they had that kind of flagship position, so to speak, is they're going to go, well, I can't sell it now because it used to be worth X, uh, which is a bias that we call anchoring, right? You're anchored to what that peak price was in that stock or in your portfolio. And it's uncomfortable, at least for those of us that think that we're long-term investors, to sell a stock when it's not where we think the full valuation is going to be. What I would argue is the counterpoint to that same objection is if you're buying, if you're selling something that's down and buying something that you think has the same level of appreciation ahead of it, that's okay, right? You don't want to sell something and then buy a slow growth asset or something you don't think will appreciate as much as that flagship stock might be. But if you're exchanging it or kind of, again, spreading that risk into another high conviction idea, that should still work out in your favor. Because we we get stuck in that sort of a, a paradigm, I think, quite a bit as investors that fall in love with these stocks a little bit and stop thinking about them as tools. We, we tend to really anchor to, I love this company. It'll be fine. But again, I, I agree with you. I think this is a good time to spread risk if you needed to do so already. I have to actively fight my urge to anchor all the time. It is a very hard thing. Uh, one exercise... I know you shared this with me. I don't know if it's originally attributable to you. You are a great borrower of good ideas. I am. I, I have not ever had an original idea, Dan. So I'm certain whatever this is, I didn't make it up. <laughs> That's all right. Well, I'll give you the credit for sharing it with me m- many years ago. But if you are in that position where you might have a lot of money in a single stock and, and do find yourself anchoring to where it has been, a good way to reassess your portfolio is to think about if all of this were cash today. Would I still put that 50% in that one stock or would I buy other stuff? And that's just a good test of whether your portfolio really speaks to to your inner conviction or whether there's a mismatch. And I, I think that's actually an evergreen piece of advice. But if you find yourself anchoring to a company that's come down a lot and is still a big position in your portfolio, you know, I, I would go through that exercise for sure. Yeah, there's two exercises in that space that I really like. So that that's the first one. Uh, and the way that I actually explain that to clients is I say, if I sold everything for you today, what would you go back and buy? Because I want to take the sale decision out of their mind. I'm not saying you would sell it, but you now have cash today. What are you purchasing? And does it look the way your current portfolio looks? And if there's a mismatch there, especially if there's a large one, I think that's a concern. 
because that means that your conviction doesn't necessarily line up with your portfolio. For those of us that try to default to patience, that may be the right answer, right? So maybe the patience is just expressing itself as like, well, I'm not going to make a change yet. I tend to be a little bit slower rather than faster in making some of those, I'm going to pitch an idea out of my portfolio sort of decisions. I, I tend to be slow there just by nature, and I'm okay with that. That's the mistake I would rather make than being overly active, overly trading, and too quick on the trigger with a company that I ultimately have a lot of faith in. But if you're deeply feeling that you've got a wide mismatch, that is something to do. The other exercise that's really in the same thought process for me, it's just a different way to express it, is really a ranking system. So the way that I've always told people to do this, and there's many ways you could execute the same idea, get a post-it notepad, and on each post-it note, write a company that you currently own in your portfolio. Without looking at your statements or at your account balances, put them in order. What are your favorites, right? And it's probably easiest to do this in a one versus the other. Do I like X, Y, and Z versus ABC more, right? And create this ranking system and put them in order and then compare your conviction rank to your portfolio. Are your highest conviction ideas actually your largest holdings? If they're not, that's a problem. Are your lowest conviction ideas things that you could get out of and add capital back to some of those high conviction ideas? It's just a restructuring process that you can do. And not looking at your actual holdings while you do it, I think, is the key because then you become a little bit more disconnected from some of that price anchoring. And you're thinking about the business and how do I feel about this business versus another one rather than looking at your portfolio. We've been talking a lot about individual companies. To some extent, you can do the same thing for index funds and ETFs. Uh, This would express itself mostly in how a certain asset class like large cap may look relative to small caps or domestic versus internationals. If you've let something float for a long time, it might not be positioned the way you intended it to be. And re-examining that probably at least on an annual basis is worthwhile just to make sure it's either in line with whatever targets you're following that someone has set up for you or with your conviction. I believe that you know most of the growth is going to fall within this sector versus another. I love that as well. The last concept that we've talked about in the past but is an opportunity in a down market is tax loss harvesting. So some people might look to find losers in their portfolios sell them to be able to register that loss and use it to either offset some gains they've had. I don't know who has gains this year. I certainly don't. Uh, Or you can write some of it off against income if you qualify. Um, And if you wait the appropriate amount of time, you could even buy that very same position back if you want to own it. Yeah. So it's a 60-day rule. So from the Basically, from the point that you sell it, they look at a a 60-day window, 30 before, 30 after on whether or not you've owned it somewhere else, which would potentially disallow it. So if you're planning on tax loss harvesting something, you can't just pick up the same position in another account and kind of hold it there and just shift your ownership over. What you should be doing is actually selling the position and waiting for 30 days to get back into it. Now, you can use something that is comparable as a replacement. Again, I'm not endorsing these companies, but if you sold Coke and you wanted to buy Pepsi as the replacement product in the meantime, because you think that they're going to be very correlated, you could do that. You can't necessarily 
buy one ETF that tracks the S&P 500 and buy another one that tracks the S&P 500, that could get thrown out if it gets examined. So so you want to be careful with how you do this. And again, always talk to your tax folks before you uh, make this type of a decision. But that's what we would be talking about is a replacement position or just sitting out of the market for that period of time. I'm much more a fan of a replacement position of some kind, because if we see a very fast recovery, you could be out at the wrong time if you're sitting in cash, kind of just waiting to get back in. So that is a nice way to do it. You're also seeing a lot more automated products that are doing this for you. Uh, In fact, Dan and I just learned about one that Schwab is rolling out right now. We're still learning more about that type of stuff because I think it's really interesting. But those types of products are available now where if you're not wanting to do this manually, they kind of do it for you and kind of keep those those sort of positions in place. So uh, interesting stuff. And and the industry is getting more active on how they make this easy for, for investors. So hopefully you can take something away from this list and either take a positive investing action or a positive planning action with the down market and earn a moral victory and quite possibly a positive long-term financial decision. We hope that this list has been helpful. Uh, We know this isn't fun when stocks are down. Certainly, we're not enjoying it. That being said, we've got to stay positive for the long-term as investors. And we know that there's all sorts of biases that make us more likely to feel bad in these down markets. We've got short memories as investors. We need to stay focused on the long-term, focused on our financial plans and whether or not we're taking the right actions. We hope you can do the same. Thanks for listening. If you've got questions for us, check your balances at outlook.com is the email address for the show. Thanks for tuning in. We'll catch you all next week.